Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This is the Autosport Podcast. Formula One season is almost upon us and it all kicks off with a launch from Haas of their car, the VF24. Well, sort of. In true Haas spirit, they provided lovely visuals of the car, but we haven't seen it in person. And with a big top-level change in management of the team, are they going to be able to claw back those spaces on the grid? Well, here to discuss it with me, Bryn Lucas. I've got Alex Kalanorkas and Jake Boxall-Leg. First of all, gents, great to see you here. Hello. Hello, Bryn. Yes, uh, thanks for having us. I think we're uh, just about recovering from the shock of Lewis Hamilton's uh, transfer to Ferrari for 2025. It's certainly like it's it's easily the most exciting thing to have happened in Formula One in in, in many a year. Arguably the biggest uh, driver transfer shock or move ever. And yeah, it certainly messed up our what had been expected to be a nice quiet end to the week. Little 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 bit of news of the Haas livery coming out, but then no, we rip up all our plans and start again. <laughs> I think I picked a pretty good day to have off yesterday. I woke up relatively late. Uh, I did have a meeting and then suddenly uh, everything started happening. So obviously uh, we're in good hands and uh, everybody was able to sort of uh, do it without me. Um, and uh, but yeah, it was uh, it was fun to watch along as kind of almost as a spectator of, of sorts. Uh, it's such a big move, but uh, back down back down to earth with Haas, I guess. JBL, you are sorely missed, obviously, obviously, <laughs> it goes without saying. Well, look, before we get cracking on this podcast, I know it's a non-visual medium, but this gives me a real insight into your own home. So try and paint a picture for us. Let's start with you, Alex, because you've got a bright, colourful background, lots of cars and posters that I can see. Paint us a lovely picture. Go on. Yeah, it's quite it's quite busy, uh, basically, because there's every autosport magazine I've ever had an article printed in, plus GP Racing, uh, F1 Racing, as was, uh, as, as the editor, Stuart Codling, would refer it to, uh, refer to it as. Uh, yeah, I got, got a few posters over my shoulder, but yeah, um, also got some, yeah, just some pretty cool memorabilia, I, because I, honestly, I'm so sad. But basically, uh, I interviewed Max Verstappen at the Mexican Grand Prix uh, last year, and that was one race on from him securing his 50th F1 win with his uh, Austin Triumph at the, at the US Grand Prix last year. And basically, as part of that interview, I 
just printed out i've done this list of ranking his top 10 uh, uh formula one wins which you know we've done a, a podcast on with our, our colleague uh, ronald vording uh, in the netherlands and kevin turner our chief editor at autosport um epic length i would say i don't think our producer torin was uh, was particularly expecting it to, to run to that length but anyway um basically it, it, as, as part of that what the, the basis of the podcast and the basis of the feature that's in autosport magazine uh this week is that um i printed off my list of max's top 10 wins and i was just like right we've got two minutes left in our interview what do you think of this and he was in such a good mood that I just knew that I just, you know, you just get a sense of something that's just going to work out because he could have just been like, oh, all right, yeah, whatever. Uh, but he, he was like, oh, okay, can I have your pen? And he grabbed my, my red pen and he went, right, I'm going to do what I think is the order. Uh, and because I'd sort of thought that this might go well, I'd asked the Red Bull team PRs if she could just like take a photo of the interview so we could set the scene a little bit for the for the readers in the magazine and when it runs online. And because like I said, I'm so sad. I actually, I just got it framed because I was just like, I can't really ask him to sign it because like that's a bit of a line you can't really cross when you're when you're a journalist then um, so but i just you know it's just it's just a nice bit of like individual memorabilia uh, that i've got from my time in f1 so yeah it's uh it's a very crowded scene over my shoulder but um yeah that's something that stands out very crowded over your shoulder as you say alex jbl <laughs> looking over your shoulder are you just in a white padded cell um yes uh no this is the this is the perils of uh london living in a house share so i have a li- little bit less space to kind of put interesting things but um yeah you know it's there to to, to paraphrase suzanne vega i'm jake i live on the second floor um no just over my shoulder you can see you know guitars uh see the football that i got from from miami uh last year that i was gifted and a few other bits and pieces but I don't quite have the space to, to, you know, fill it with with posters and that sort of thing. I do have just above my desk here um, a large landscape image of uh, a photo that I took in Copenhagen, which I can get down for you if you like. But um, no, <laughs> but uh... I'm waving. No, absolutely not. <laughs> OK, fine. There's only room for one narcissist here and Alex has got that one. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so, you're welcome you're welcome so yeah it's <laughs> thought, I was, thought i was wonderfully <laughs> self-deprecating <laughs> so, yeah, well look let's move this on to what we can actually <laughs> well look jamie i'm going to move this on to what we can actually talk about and that is the the has livery that's been revealed what we can actually see the listener can't obviously but we can not dramatically different from last year but a lot of bare carbon fiber and overall a bit generic to an extent what do you both think yeah, I think, I mean, it's not the new car. We, we knew that coming in, the team was saying, you know, don't expect, don't expect anything. It would just, it would just be the livery. And I mean, it's barely a change. They've, they've changed the nose that's, it's less white. It sort of makes it look, because I, I often found watching the car track side, you'd see it head on or you'd see it sat in the pit lane and it, it looks pretty bright and vibrant. And then it comes past you and it's quite dark. Well, now that's the whole car. So yeah, it's, it, for me, it's sort of throwing it forward a little bit it's 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 remin it, you know it's it's evocative of the place has now finds itself in which is a very very difficult place i thought you were going to say a very dark place <laughs> jbl uh, i think it is certainly an improvement livery wise over last season um because well as, as as alex said um it sort of had this sort of kind of duality and it's a lot more cohesive i think as a as a concept um, does put one in mind of the kind of Paul Stoddart era Minardis of the early 2000s. So maybe that's kind of a hallmark of uh, <laughs> where it expects to be, i.e. the back of the grid. Um, but I, I do quite like it. 
for a car that is basically naked carbon they sort of they've done a decent job with it i'm sort of getting a little bit tired of the naked carbon motif now obviously people doing it to save weight and all of that sort of thing but it's sort of taking something away and i think we need to go back a few years and have more vibrant color schemes on the grid like we did maybe 2017 or 2018 kind of time I always wonder just how much weight it really adds. I'm sure you both know the exact figures for that. But like we say, we've seen the renders of it, only the renders of it. But one thing that strikes me is that they haven't gone for a Red Bull clone. The side pods seem to be really wide. What do you think, Jay? Uh, I think there's certainly some kind of Red Bull influences there. And if you kind of delve a little bit deeper into the kind of what the side pods that they've, they've put on this launch car uh, or this launch render rather, uh, what's there? you can kind of see there is kind of a wideness to it, but that's because they've gone for this kind of wider, shorter side pod inlet. Uh, and what you can do there is you just have the ability to kind of create this much bigger undercut around the side pod. So you're losing a little bit less energy with the airflow going around it because uh, it's taking a much shorter path, less frictional losses, that kind of thing. Just energizes the air kind of going towards the back of the car. Uh, obviously, there are the caveats that... Again, these are launch renders. Haas is showing us only what it wants us to see. Um, there are little bits and pieces here and there that might hint to the direction that it's taking, certainly moving away from what it had for the majority of last season, uh, something that it kind of moved towards with the Austin update that didn't work particularly uh, well last season with side pod design. Uh, and then, obviously, the, the rear wing looks a little bit different as well. Um, we've kind of got that exposed tip element that a few teams kind of experimented with in 2023. Um, and what you're doing there is you're just powering up that top element. It's not going quite in the direction F1 would want teams to go to because it's creating uh, this vortex at the tips and uh, and that's basically working to kind of supplant what you would have with a traditional end plate. Um but I think, you know, again, uh, these are just elements of what Haas wants us to see of its new car. And I'm sure, you know, when the music stops in Bahrain, obviously we'll see the, the full thing. But yeah, a few sort of bits and pieces to kind of hint at the direction that it's going with for 2024. Um, nothing out of the ordinary. Maybe it's got something big that it wants to show us a little bit later. Well, Alex, a couple of weeks ago, we were sitting down talking about Gunter Steiner leaving no longer remaining at Haas, uh, how we wanted to uh, announce this one. But they've got Komatsu in there now. Where does this, and you're going to love this line, where has that left Haas this season? Beautiful, right? Very beautiful. Well, but I mean, going back to my sort of uh, clumsy, I don't know, what, even, if, what, even if it made it to a full metaphor about the livery, I, it, it bears out, right? I think I'm worried about the future of this team. I'm worried if it is actually already in a dark place because of various various things. So Stein has gone on the basis that Gene Haas was unhappy with the results the team was getting. Okay, that's fine. But the results are not going to change anytime soon. And Ayo Komatsu has come out and very commendably been very honest in the team's press release that accompanied these renders being revealed. And he basically says, we still expect the car to be towards the back of the grid if not last. Now, there's a there's a lot to unpick there because, again, we go back to talk about car performance. Let's take McLaren, for example. It realised it was in trouble in terms of its previous car design development path around the time of the 2022 French Grand Prix. How long did it take to make a massive gain forwards? Exactly a year. Haas only realised it was in so much trouble with its car around the Austin, Mexico, uh, you know, heading to Brazil, that triple header when they introduced the massive uh, upgrade in Austin. So when's it going to get 
particularly better if it ever does well the mclaren example is a year it could it could be that it makes some steps across the 2024 season but what worries me is that there's been a suggestion sort of reported about that at the really top levels of the team and i'm talking sort of ownership levels there is this expectation that things will get better somehow with having got rid of steiner but it just doesn't work like that in formula one and i think you know there's obviously this focus on promoting from within we know has on the basis of his news today has uh, got a new technical director to replace simone resta is their former chief designer he's now got to be replaced uh, and they're saying they're going to promote from within again so that's all fine and that's all this sort of efficiency drive that they're talking about being on but if you're expecting radical change that will improve performance, that doesn't doesn't seem like the most logical way to achieve that. So it all adds up to a, a pretty murky situation at the moment. It doesn't sound very hopeful. Uh, I mean, we always want the best for Formula One teams, right? So I do hope things work out for Haas. But from what we're seeing and hearing, it's not a brilliant start. Uh, and then there's there's the the other thing about um, there's other, the other thing about Io Kamazzo is that we met him. I went with our, my colleague Jonathan Noble to the Haas factory uh, just a few days after he was announced as team principal, and he didn't. It, it was really nice to to get to know him a little bit. I think when you see him in the media, he's going to be as direct as Gunther Steiner, but I don't think he'll be as you know widely appearing. I, don't, I think they're contractually obliged to put him forward to drive to survive, but. I can't see him being the same charismatic figure as Steiner. So that sort of that that's that's one thing. That's fine. That's his approach. It does remove the sort of X factor from this team. It sort of leaves you wondering what really is the point in Haas at the moment, other than being an advertising vehicle for Gene Haas's uh, machine tooling company. But at the same time, the the, the trip to the Haas uh, is, is so that it's their you know their their base in Banbury rather than the sort of factory because obviously they're spread all across the world, right? But he didn't have a lot of answers. It was like, we were like, okay, so what are you going to do differently? Or I haven't told the team yet, so I can't tell you. Okay, that's absolutely fine. But at a certain point, he's going to have to explain how things are really going to change. And at the moment, we're just not seeing it. Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky time for Haas. I mean, you mentioned McLaren there. They've got a very different business model. Uh, JBL Haas, it's always hard for Haas as a Formula One team, given how they put that car together, a real hodgepodge of, of almost bought parts, aren't they? Can you go over this a bit more for us? Yeah, sure. So when um, Haas came in, it was originally a kind of tie up between taking Ferrari's powertrains and certain technical elements. But design and build was being handled at Dallara in Italy as well. Um, <clears throat> different manufacturer there. And then it was being assembled uh, at Haas's facilities in Banbury. Dallara is not as involved as it used to be um, ever since the preparations for 2022. Um, it's taken up a bit much bigger position in kind of the Ferrari facility. So it's kind of a sort of a subset of Ferrari almost um, that's doing the design and the build. And that has some ex and current Dallara employees in it, um, Haas employees, some people seconded from Ferrari as well. Obviously, there's no cross-pollination that, uh, as far as the, you know, the regulations are concerned, any kind of parts that are used are allowed to be used because they're you know what we used to call non-listed components now kind of transferable components so it takes as much as it can from ferrari in that sense um but it's not a centralized model and that's the difficult thing because you've got this one faction in italy that wants a certain thing out of the car and then it sort of almost sends it not quite gift wrapped because you know Haas has to kind of put it back together in uh, in its facilities but there's that kind of go between that, that kind of link up between okay this is the car and this is what we you know we think is best for it but then the race team you know is going to run the cars that it thinks it, it, it in the best way that it thinks so the 
what Komatsu was wanted to do is try and ease that process of, uh, I guess, getting that sort of link together between the two operations a little bit stronger. Um, I think that's something that he thinks could be open for for improvement. Um, that's kind of part of the reason why he was brought in team principal because, you know, Gene Haas thought we can do better with the resources that we have. And Komatsu agreed with that, whereas Steiner wanted a little bit more investment for the team to be maybe a little bit more autonomous. So that's kind of the bed that is made for itself. Whether it sticks with that, you know, in five, 10 years time, that's kind of up for debate. But, you know, as of now, this is the situation and it does have to maximize that. But yeah, it's very, very different and very, very difficult to stitch those parts together and have something that's cohesive over a season because we've not really seen that from Haas since maybe 2018. And that was, you know, year three of its projects. We're now some years into it and, you know, it's regressed. Well, Alex, one thing that hasn't changed at Haas and indeed at many of the teams for this season is the driver lineup. Now, they've got a relatively experienced lineup with Hulkenberg and Magnussen, but what can those two do in that seat to help propel this team forward and maybe JBL come in afterwards? Because I reckon you two might conflict in your opinion slightly. I mean, I think we do conflicting our opinions already on whether Haas should have uh, essentially axed Gunther Steiner. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, well, I'm, to be clear, I, I don't think they should have done. But anyway, um, on the drivers, what more can Nico Hulkenberg do, really, other than maybe line up in the right grid spot on the grid in Qatar? And just as a, as a slight aside, spoke to him the next race in Austin and just asked him about, oh, what happened? And shut the question down so fast I didn't even have time to react. So I sort of asked it again. He was like, no, 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 no. I just really didn't want to talk about it. Later explained to me that, yeah, for a man who's very, very confident in his abilities and in his place in the world, quite embarrassed by that little episode. But anyway, it's a massive aside. He was, I thought he was brilliant last year. What what, what, what else could he have done? He qualified the car where it was possible to qualify it and it went backwards in the race because it couldn't do anything with the tyres. So I'd say Hulkenberg's in a pretty secure position. He's achieving, he, he only sets out in just the way he seems to drive the car all the time to achieve the exact maximum of the car and he tries to do it. Kevin Magnussen's in a much harder position because his driving style in particular exacerbated the weakness of the Haas. He's very high energy. We did this uh, big feature for with Karun Chandok, the Sky F1 pundit, ex-F1 driver, of course, uh, recently for Autosport Magazine and for Autosport.com Plus. It's available there. There's a lovely plug for it. Uh, and we talked a lot about drivers with sort of high energy movements at the steering wheel, lots of, you know, lots of little adjustments and sort of Lance Stroll, Yuki Tsunoda, Joe Guanyu, they they were sort of coming up again and again and again. Then we got to Magnussen and Karun was like, he's, in a, he's just in a field of his own. It's just so much energy so much aggression and that pays off in very specific circumstances so think the reason why he was able to get pole position at brazil in 2022 uh you know in the sprint or the sprint race pole whatever it was i think it does officially count as pole position that's absolute nonsense and again i've gone off on a tangent but that was really exposed last year so if Haas hasn't so that is in his his tires were in an even worse shape uh than hulkenberg's and he he wasn't able to get on top of getting uh, on a level with Hulkenberg over one lap other than sort of sporadic instances such as Miami. So if that hasn't been fixed and it suggests, as I talked about the lead times earlier, that it won't have been fixed unless there is something really, really different coming with the real car, it's going to be quite another challenging campaign for Magnussen. Again, you don't like to see it because I think he's got a great attitude and he's got a great place in Formula One, uh, but it's certainly something that that there was an imbalance in the driver lineup. But other than that, you know, I spent a lot of time with the team last year. I was embedded with them for uh, over the Silverstone weekend for, uh, for a feature for GP Racing, our other magazine, uh, listening into their engineering debriefs. And what struck me was that their 
they're just pros like they just get on with it they deliver things in a that you know their information and feedback in slightly different styles but it's a proper sort of it was a proper grown-up atmosphere in there and when we've come from a few years of you know Grosjean and Magnussen and the door smashing and whatever and Nikita Mazepan and Mick Schumacher and their constant almost at war at times it was just it was just a a, a weird situation for the team I think having those two season pros especially at a time where the team does appear to be in quite a lot of flux, that's really valuable to Haas. Yeah, I think where Haas is on the grid, its position in Formula 1, it has the best driver lineup that's pretty much available to it. It wanted to go back to experience after the Schumacher Mazepin years of one driver smashing cars and snapping them in half, the other driver just being glacially slow and off the base. It needed to have two drivers that were going to be that focal point and help the you know team realize that whatever drivers it's got in the cars that's not the issue that's not an issue and it's just um what they do to develop the car so in that regard you know alex has already gone through it very forensically as he's done with with corinne for the features and they are excellent um so i don't know if i've got too much added value to bring here but you know i think as i said the, the best drivers that are available to the team um Hulkenberg, there's a reason why we put him in our top 10 drivers of the the season um really really strong year and when that car you know in qualifying the the floors were a lot less exposed because you know you have the the advantage of fresh tires you're not worrying about tire wear or tire management too much so he could just go out there and do his thing and and stick it you know into q3 more often than not uh front row at canada before he had a a, a penalty magnuson did struggle in that regard as well and as Alex has already said, he just didn't mesh with the car particularly. So there was clearly something that happened between 2022 and 2023 that, that, that cost him quite a bit. Um, so he'll be lobbying for you know something that switches to the characteristics of, of last year's, sorry, uh, the year before's car. And um, it would just be nice to see them sort of on a little bit more even footing for 2024 because they are both very, very strong drivers and, um, you know, I think we all we all like to they're both quite popular as well, so we all quite like to see them doing doing well. Well, before we move on to the next question, JBL, you win the prize for the the loving prize. I think that was lovely there, uh, talking about Alex in such a nice way. And Alex, you win the prize, the golden prize for the number of plugs you can fit into an answer. So well done there. Beautifully done, brilliantly promoted uh, all the different uh, aspects of, of what we have and where these podcasts go out and where you write and things like that. So beautifully done. But let's look at Formula 1 as a wider scale a little bit. If we can start with you, JBL. Formula One announced recently they've rejected Andretti's uh, idea of joining the Formula One grid in 2025, but they've only sort of pushed the door shut gently, haven't they? They've left it open for maybe seeing them on the grid in the future. Now, loads of comments online have been like, well, you know what, Andretti should just buy Haas. They should just buy Haas. That's what's going to happen. How reasonable a notion is that? Uh, I think for the time being... Haas is kind of relatively happy with where it is. It's, it's getting a lot of exposure for the Haas CNC brand, which is kind of the whole raison d'etre of the team. Um, performances have been have been pretty poor. Um, Gene Haas doesn't want to see that, as, as we've already explained. You know, he, he wants much more appearances and the points, that kind of thing. But the thing is, is it's kind of happy doing its thing and. Not, I'm not going to say treading water because that sort of like, you know, devalues what the team is doing. But um, I don't think it feels necessarily the reason to sell. But I can see in maybe three, four years time, 
if things haven't improved, then yeah, sure. Uh, if Andretti's still interested and it still has the infrastructure, then it could very feasibly buy it. The problem is now with the rejection from, from Formula One, is Andretti able to keep that core of the team together purely on the proviso that it might have an entry for 2028? We don't know yet. So surely there will be some kind of discussions. There have already been discussions between Michael Andretti and Gene Haas, and Haas doesn't want to sell at this moment in time. Um, if you know the, the Formula One's current boom isn't able to be sustained and values of teams drop, then, you know, sure, Haas is, you know, he's a savvy businessman. He's going to see sort of values dropping and go, okay, now's the right time to sell because it might not necessarily come back in such a strong way. But I think just from a personal point of view, I was disappointed with that decision um, not to let Andretti on the grid. I think, you know, yeah, sure, the, the team might struggle in the first few years, but that's not really for for F1 to say. It's not really for them to say well you might struggle so you, you're not going to get a place on the grid because there have been so many teams that, that that have come to f1 and have and have stuck it out and have improved so i i think a lot of people were very unhappy with that alex i just want to come to you on this one as well because you you two have different different opinions on this slightly with with some of these topics we discuss and on this one here i wonder how well, what you think is it a reasonable idea that you know maybe andretti should come in and just make Gene Haas an offer he can't refuse? Yeah, I mean, that certainly would make uh, a lot of sense in one direction. I'm sort of told that if Gene Haas sold up now, he'd make all his money back and maybe even a little bit of a profit. That's just a reflection of how much F1 teams have, have, have increased in value. You know, we're talking about them approaching nearly a uh, billion dollars, or you know, in terms of overall worth. So, you know, it'd be a lot for Andretti to have to do that. But Maybe that's maybe that's the best option. We just don't know. Like there's 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 too many unknowns on the Haas front right now. Um, what I would say on Andretti is that yeah, I think it's definitely very disappointing that there's not another team. I think it's it's sort of it's like you know protectionism protectionism and 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 too much inner thinking from the other teams in terms of you know that what they're what they've always said about the anti dilution fee and the potential hit to their earnings, right? But I also think at the same time, there's a lot of sense in what F1 put out, particularly the bits when it came to Andretti building a brand new car for 2025 and then having to be, be you know, produce essentially another one to very different regulations for 2026. I think there's a lot of like, oh, hang on a minute, that 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 is that is a really big challenge, it's a really big challenge for, for all the existing teams anyway. So to do it from scratch when historically, you know, when when where's the last example of a new team coming in and winning immediately? Like in the modern era, I, I cannot think of one. I don't. Uh, and there's there's also the point about, you know, they've announced this deal with General Motors, but it's not exactly a full work supply. So there was this suggestion that it, there would be another power manufacturer. I think it's probably end up going to be Renault being forced to do that and feeling quite unhappy about its intellectual property then potentially being used to benefit General Motors. So there's there's a lot of, there's still a, there was still a lot of like not satisfactory answers from the Andretti side. But overall, I, I do agree that, A, I think it would have been brilliant to have the Andretti name in Formula One because what a fantastic addition to motorsport and, and you know, what a fantastic achievements in motorsport it has already, uh, it has already got. Uh, and also, we just we do want to see more teams and more drivers. Wouldn't it have been fantastic to see an American driver come over and succeed in Formula One, or, or at the very least, you know, show well against what what Formula One is constantly claiming, even though that's definitely not accurate in terms of a certain numbers of uh, the drivers on the grid that these are the best drivers in the world. On on the point of 
creating two separate uh, different cars for 2025 and 2026. First of all, the reason Andretti wanted to come in for 25 was because the Concord agreement is set to be renewed for 2026. And it's likely that the teams voting for their you know, own interests are going to want that closed from 12, which is the maximum a number of teams allows to 10. So it would make it a lot more difficult for a new team to come in. So that's why they were gunning for 2025. It is a massive challenge to get a car for 25 and then for the new technical regulations, whatever shape or form they come in um, with regards to aero package for 26. It is a big undertaking, but it's been done before. Haas has done it before in 2016. It had to build a car to do very different technical regulations for 2017 with the wider cars. If we go back a, a few years to, to when I kind of started watching, Stewart did it in 97 and then had to build a narrow track car for, for, for 98. So it's been, it's been done before. Obviously, F1 now is massively specialized and highly technologically advanced. But at the same time, teams are governed by cost cap. And, you know, that's something that, that would help in the in the long run. Um, so I think it, it, it's understandable. Maybe it's a little bit flimsy. I think ultimately it's just the existing F1 teams didn't want another team. Um, and they were willing to find whatever evidence it would might make it more difficult to have an 11th team. I think one of the reasons that F1 gave was um, that it didn't think the team would add value. GM coming in in 2028, they were saying, okay, wait until 2028 when they do come in because then you might be able to bring some value. That Christian Horner point that tracks might not be able to fit 22 teams, again, one of the flimsiest arguments given we've seen Apex GP, F1 experiences and various, you know, various circuits having more than, you know, enough space for 22 plus team, sorry, uh, 22 plus cars. That was cited as well. So I think some of the arguments are flimsy. And I think ultimately the lack of honesty just annoys me a little bit. It's just like, okay, if it's about money, just say it is. Don't beat about the bush. Well, so I think I think what we can agree on is that uh, it sets up for another very interesting chapter of F1 versus the FIA, because obviously the FIA were very much approving the Andretti entry. Yeah, I mean, and we have kind of touched on it a little bit here, but do you think it's it's the other side of things that, you know, Formula One seemingly trying to expand into America and promotion, promote themselves into North America anyway. And here's a golden opportunity to, to bring in a, a huge American motorsport giant in Andretti. Do you think that they've missed a trick or is it literally just kicking the can down the road? If I want to be super cynical about this, I would suggest that it wants American money. I don't know if it necessarily wants American teams or American drivers. Um, certainly a driver would be marketable. It has one in Logan Sargent. But there was the case a couple of years ago of um, Colton Herta looking at a potential Formula 1 seat. Super license requirements denied him of that and he wasn't going to get an exemption despite the fact that he's been a very, very strong driver in IndyCar and has a lot of promise matched up to Lando Norris in their junior career as well. Um, I think that was something that Trevor Carlin, who, you know, ran both drivers during their junior categories, was something that he was very vocal on and was surprised that Herta wasn't going to be allowed a chance. So it just seems to be this kind of duality of F1 wants this exposure in the US and it wants the money and it wants the big businesses to come in and even these big brands like General Motors. But it just seems to devalue the idea of an Andretti coming in despite the fact that Andretti A is a massive name in international motorsport you know uh, IndyCar uh, Formula E reigning champions um, 
and and even you know expanding into to IMSA and, and other categories as well. It's got a huge pedigree. And there's you know the the association with with Mario Andretti, the the champion in 1978. So yeah, it to me. I think it's a miss. I, I, I'm biased because I'd, I'd love to see Andretti in Formula One. So for me, I'm you know it always comes with that caveat. But yeah, I think they've missed a trick here. You're biased, JBL, because you're the most American British person I've, I've ever met. But um, but just but I, I I do agree with what you're saying. Um, it, it, it's a massive own goal. It's like a, 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 it's like they've shot themselves in the foot when it terms to when it comes to like attracting specific or, or certain areas of, of motorsport fans in America, right? Just look at the reaction from a load of the IndyCar drivers and a load of people who follow IndyCar really, really closely. Like, it just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. To put that back to them, though, F1 is an American company. It is owned by Liberty Media. This is this is an American company making an American decisions. And also, there's sort of, there's been this tag of, oh, F1 is elitist. It's like, well, motorsport do you know the history of motorsport is about rich people driving very very expensive cars it has never not been elitist in any category including america so i just thought that tag if you'll pardon the pun is a bit rich oh i like it i like it knock that one out the park there alex that's the best pun we've had so far today and i did bring the house one in earlier on just to refresh your memories and that means they can't edit that bit out of the video right so now just to finish off this podcast quickly alex talking to you about the announcement that was made slightly slightly earlier today and that is that suzuka's owners honda they've announced the extension of their contract for another five years which means the Japanese Grand Prix will be held at Suzuka until at least 2029. Now, it's a, a huge fan favourite circuit, isn't it? What do you reckon? What are your thoughts? Yeah, excellent news. Um, I think, obviously, the three of us are, uh, are British. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure there is many of our viewers, many of our listeners will, will share these, you know, have these wonderful memories of getting up at 4am, 5am to watch the Japanese Grand Prix. You know, if I think back to, God, too many years ago now, but the late 90s and, you know, those Mick Hacken and Michael Schumacher title deciders, you know, just that, that always, always brings, always brings a good, uh, a good memory there. And then there's just the fact that it's, it's one of those iconic tracks, like just listen to what the drivers say about Suzuki. 2022, Sebastian Vettel, Fernando Alonso, just talking about how much they love it. Max Verstappen clearly absolutely adores the place. So yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those key things that in the sort of light that you've got a Madrid street track coming, which is just another street track that look, will look exactly the same as all the other ones that joined the calendar in recent years. It's lovely to see this sort of, you know, commitment and investment to a historic and, and also very exciting uh, track. Um, you know, there was this suggestion that maybe there might be a race in Osaka, which is uh, which is actually much closer to uh, Suzuka than Tokyo is, that potentially the talk was it would run alongside Suzuka and sort of, you know, had like Pacific Grand Prix and things like that running along the Japanese Grand Prix, alongside the Japanese Grand Prix in the past. I do wonder perhaps whether that was more of a potential bargaining uh, tactic pressure being applied to, to Honda and, and the Suzuka owners and things like that. But yeah, overall, excellent story that Suzuka's sticking around. JBL, I think you must uh, you must at least agree with Alex on that one. It is a great place, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's always been one of my favourites to you know to to watch, um, play on in video games, and you know having picked up the F1 baton for the first time last year. Uh, you know, I was lucky enough to get to go, and I think Alex is going for the first time this year. And I'm just, I'm excited for you, man. Like it's going to be you're going to have such a great time. Um, it's just such a great place to go. Um, and to go trackside and watch the cars go through like the Dunlop Curve, go through the Degners, you know, even you know uh, the, the the infamous Casio Triangle where where Senna and Prost came together in 1989. It's just it's it is an iconic venue, 
and um i think just getting there and seeing you know all of the fans and their fervent support it's just such a great place to go it feels like pro- a proper f1 venue um so yeah long may it continue well there you go that about does it for our first f1 launch of the 2024 season coming on monday we've got both stakes sauber and williams so make sure you stick around for that hear all the news on their launches and the rest over the coming weeks thanks so much for listening we'll see you next time Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.